Hey everyone, Anna Lytle here. And Kat Pusey. And welcome Welcome to to the the Modern Farm and Artisan Co-op Podcast. We're here connecting you to the lives and stories of our local farmers, makers, and educators that are all dedicating themselves to positively and powerfully impacting the Southern Utah community. Today, we're talking with Christina and Randy Tice of Christie's Asian Kitchen, the couple who creates the delicious Asian dishes based in authentic techniques, but infused with innovative flavors. This couple has a deep passion for creating good food that leaves you dreaming about it days later. You can find them at the farmer's markets and hopefully soon at their own semi-permanent pop-up location. All right, let's get cracking. (laughs) So we usually like to start with a little bit of background. So how did you two meet? Uh, we met in China. So uh, I, I'm a teacher and uh, I was in Beijing teaching English and we actually worked at the same school. Uh, and so she was uh, working as in the office there. Uh, in the front desk. Yeah. And there's like the teacher workroom is okay so it's got these like windows like floor to ceiling windows and so when i'm like prepping like she's in full view straight yeah, in front, and I can see to him. the front entrance so so you guys were just staring at each other like was it like hi i'm randy and you guys were being all flirty because, or was it no, just because like i noticed that i that always guy? look at me oh and i just that kind of feeling is weird <laughs> so i asked him out the oh, first time. That's weird, so I asked him out. <laughs> because, because I want to get it clear. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I don't want to be stared at every day. Uh, maybe not every moment, but... It's, it's good, because, like, you know, I'm half Japanese, but I, I grew up in America, right? So I always felt it was weird to date someone at work, you know? So I was like, I'm never going to do that, but... But I, I asked him out, and then, like, talked talk to him about like why you're always like look at me and stuff that really make me not comfortable and stuff and then that's the start of everything yeah our first date was at an indian restaurant <laughs> in china yeah, yeah in beijing was it good it, it was it i was remember it's a really good indian restaurant yeah so i had been in china for only about a month or so and then, and then we started dating yeah. And yeah. later on he told me if it wasn't because of me he wouldn't stay in china that long that's that's really true though, because like I had to be honest, I had a hard time when I first went there. I was like, oh, China, it should be just like Japan. <laughs> I was totally wrong, you know. I was having a hard time with the language. It's just like China's on a whole nother level. You know, a city of a million people is considered small. Wow. And so Beijing was just so packed and crowded, you know. So like the first couple months, I was like, I want to go back to Japan, but. After we started dating, she showed me around to a lot of a lot of places. Like a real place that uh, as a traveler, you just first got to Beijing and you never really, those places you never been. You know, like you have to have a, like a local people to take you. And now we're going to talk about it later about like our, our idea about like yeah. taking people, like have a tour in Beijing. That's awesome. So were these places that you were taking him, were they, was it always food oriented? Like you guys shared that passion, yeah, of course. Lot, yeah, because he, I know at the very beginning, I kind of know that he loves food. So, like for me, what was really cool was uh, we'd go to these like. Uh 
really like local places and eat a lot of like street food too and i'd always wanted to eat the street food but i was always like scared mm-hmm. like seriously i was like scared right it's such a simple thing you know but i didn't know the language and like to me it sounded like everybody was mad at me because <laughs> like chinese is a really loud language right <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and i didn't want to get like scammed either like have them overcharge me but like so she helped me with a lot of that is it, it was really nice it basically like made me feel like i had a sense of home while i was there it's something that's like really hard to get when you're living abroad you know you either kind of embrace this super nomadic transient lifestyle or you know find this sense of home and if not then you know this romanticized view of living abroad actually becomes really hard yeah like really really hard you know so so i I appreciate it so have you always been into cooking food or was that in in the beginning were you like oh i just know good food honestly i cooked more when we first started dating and um, she eclipsed me pretty fast. <laughs> no, no, no. The first meal that I cooked for him is like, I cook, I got, okay, so like in, in China, the KFC has this kind of like popcorn fried chicken. So it's fried chicken and battered, uh, like small pieces, like the size like popcorn and uh, like a battered and deep fried. So I bought that from KFC and then used the, I, I cooked, I, I didn't cook that part, but like I used that and I put it in the curry, like the block oh, curry and yeah. made a curry. Like I put like a carrot and potato onion and the popcorn chicken in it and make curry and make a, like a loving bento for him and take it to his, um, his place and he loved it. Bento's like a lunchbox. Yeah, but we we ate out a lot. This is this a big culture there. Like food is like so. I mean, weddings are at restaurants. Like business meetings are at restaurants. We should introduce Milo. Yeah. <laughs> Milo is Christy and Randy's son. He's super cute and adorable, but he is just recovering from a cold, and we're a family program, so deal with it, everybody. <laughs> so you grew up in the United States, right, Randy? So how did you end up teaching? Like you, so you taught in Japan, and yeah. then you taught in China. Well, so I I was born in Japan, okay. and when I was little, I moved between Japan and America. But since I was seven, I, I grew up in Orem, Utah, actually. And then, uh, so I've so uh, I, I've been in and out of Japan my whole life. And then uh, I, I went to s- school in Hawaii, actually. So I went to BYU Hawaii, and then after that, I just decided to stay there. Um, it was really it was really great. So what happened when I was there is I, I'd always wanted to be a teacher. I, I knew from the very beginning. And then there was this career fair at BYU Hawaii where there was like this, it was the coolest thing. It was just a table with no nothing and a tiny little sign that said teaching abroad and there's like the cutest oldest retired couple there like what are you guys and they they had uh, done their whole entire career teaching abroad wow yeah and that just really really impressed me they raised their kids abroad and everything and i had like the same type of questions like were your kids okay you know they're like oh yeah they could speak three languages you know and so that like really blew my mind 
And so uh, after teaching for a couple of years in Hawaii, it, it was always my dream to like go abroad. And I just, I don't know. It's honestly pretty scary. Everybody like wants to travel, right? But it can be a little bit hard. So for me, like the thing that got me going was I had like a quarter life crisis. <laughs> I was like, is this what I'm going to do with the rest of my life? So I like quit teaching for like a year and I went to culinary school. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be a chef because I like to eat. And then like... I didn't know that. Yeah, I did for for, for just a little bit. And then I was like, eh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then, and then finally I was like, okay. So I went to Japan first and I it was one of the best experiences of my life. And then after that, I was like, I want to go someplace new, but still familiar. So originally I was planning on getting a job in Taiwan and that like I couldn't get hired uh, it was crazy I don't know if it's okay to say stuff like this because I wasn't white <laughs> uh, no that's fine no, no, I mean I'm, be I'm, honest I don't I don't I'm, care. I'm totally serious you said it not me because <laughs> like there's this kind of image that like an, an English teacher is from America Americans are white uh, it's, a presti- it's so, like a prestigious thing right so, yeah so it was really weird because like I I had all my certifications I had a lot of experience but like there were a couple places where they said they hired me I sent in my picture for my visa they're like no <laughs> So I was actually super upset. I was like, okay, I'll just spread it out. Uh, So I started putting things into mainland China. And then this recruitment company got back to me and they're like, oh, we have a bunch of stuff in Beijing. I'm like, okay, Beijing's the capital, right? And uh, so there were like three positions open at the same time in three different schools. And they randomly assigned to the one that she was working at. So it's fate, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so you were working in a school. So how did, did you always want to be a teacher or were you an administrator? I graduated and then, so I didn't know what to do and then get a job or go get my master's degree. And then that was in the middle of preparing my master's degree. Um, And I signed up to this um, adult English institute called Wall Street English. So... Um, I want to improve my English, so I signed it up, and I was studying in there. And then, like, as I studied there for, like, a couple of months, I feel like, oh, this is a good environment. I want to work here. Oh, cool. So I just sent my application. And then they got in, they gave me an interview, and then I got hired, and then... So how long did you work there before he showed up? Just a couple of months. Oh, my gosh. That's weird. That's fate. Yeah. That's cute. You guys are cute. The funny thing is in China, a lot of people think she's like not Chinese or mixed or something. They're like, are you Korean? Well, <laughs> well actually, no, technically you are. <laughs> is that is it weird for me to say that it seems like there's a little bit of racism in Asia, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. OK. Oh, yeah. Like uh, just from the way you guys are kind of talking, like it oh. seems, you know, like very race oriented. There, there's like super troubled history between uh Japan, Korea, and China that goes back forever. You know, in America right now, everybody's talking about how this is just an American issue. So it's kind of weird to hear that it's the same issue everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. Like, even like in Europe, like we kind of lump Europeans in one category, but they have all these stereotypes and labels towards each other. Oh, yeah. (laughs) 
Same thing. Well, Africa is the worst because we like treat Africa like it's a country. <laughs> you know, it's like geographically one of the biggest. But you know, there's all these you know dynamics going on. I blame the public education school system. Yeah, I'll go on record for, for not that. being. Yeah, now he's still a he's still he's a, a public teacher. school teacher. Yeah. That's why that's funny. So. You guys are in China. You guys meet. You guys date. You guys get married in China? Uh, we moved around a lot. We, we had a bit of a... So we broke up and then got back together and all that stuff. So I moved to Japan together and then yeah. Japan, uh, we stayed in Japan for a year and that that's when and where we decide to get married. We decide to... Okay, so we got engaged in Japan, but like our weddings are in Hawaii and China. Yeah, so like in Hawaii, well, her parents couldn't come and so uh it was just a small one we got married on the beach uh it was really nice my family was there and then uh the one in china was a lot more big <laughs> like so it's at a restaurant yeah we have like a hundred people there's wow. like 30 course meal <laughs> wow oh yeah um you know how chinese loves food there's so many varieties of food in china there's 56 nations china itself is like historically it's got a super long history but it's actually a bunch of different kingdoms even though you have these dynasties a lot of them overlap some of them are in the north and south but like there's over 50 different 56 ethnicities nation. wow their languages but like but the way that modern china is now like mandarin is like the standard language right it's taught in schools but a lot of times like if you were to go to like chinatowns or like chinese restaurants they won't be speaking mandarin to each other they'll just be speaking their own like dialects you know these dialects are so different that they're almost like different languages it's just that the the Han Chinese well, kind of that kind of way of life has the majority what has become the majority. But like the culture, the culinary heritage is still like super strong. Like Chinese never say Chinese food; they'll only say Chinese food when they're talking to like Americans. <laughs> so like they'll say uh, like Shandong food, Sichuan food. They'll call it by like the area that it's from, and so that that blew me away when I first because right? I. I'll admit it. I was super ignorant when I went to China. I was like, orange chicken, you know. <laughs> and he's like, a, he has Asian blood, but he no, he, he knew nothing about Chinese. Yeah. It's just, it shows like people out of China outside china doesn't really know too much yeah because like for me i had kind of studied about china when i was little but that was like you know oh it's crowded with bicycles it's it's communist you know you don't spend your history class learning about the 56 different types of food which i'm voting we do yeah we should change that 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 should be a thing that's amazing (laughs) yeah and like the variety is just absolutely mind-blowing it's to be honest i'm not being biased here chinese food is like such a great legacy to the world yeah (laughs) it is it really is you know the depth and variety is just you know amazing you learned a lot from your mom so did you grow up like was your childhood really focused on food was that a big part no actually it just so my mom she was okay so her generation is just the whole life like really hard labor 
you know. And then when I was little, like elementary school, and they were um, worked really, really hard, and like so. She didn't really have too much time to cook, but whenever she cooks, I wasn't really like standing next to her and watching she's she's her cooking, but like I just kind of picked up, you know. When I was in elementary school, they were working so hard, and、uh, I felt like no, they didn't tell me like we work so hard for for you guys, but like I kind of know that if it wasn't. Because of us, I have a sister too. If it wasn't because of us, they wouldn't work this hard. So I kind of like felt guilty, and I will cook for them when they are not home. I know they will be home late, so I just cook. Like just imagine third grade. Um, elementary school student, and just cook at home and try to make the table look very nice. <laughs> so I just wonder why, like kids right now, doesn't show that appreciation from the parents. You know, they、okay、don't do too much. Is it okay if I add some context to this?、Oh, There's、sure. a lot like going on there that is normal for her, but it's super fascinating. Like her parents went through the Cultural Revolution in China,、mm. so that was where basically anybody that had any kind of wealth. It was just absolutely stripped away from them, land and everything. And it just so happens that her mother's family were landowners, so they had everything stripped away. And then her, the hard labor part—part part of the Cultural Revolution—is they had people like leave their hometown and go work in all kinds of things. Sometimes mines, sometimes like agriculture, and they just send them there, and like they'd have to do hard labor there. Yeah. So her parents had that, and then when they were finally able to like. Have kids. There's the one-child policy, right? And so, out in the countryside, there was a lot of ways to kind of、um, get around it, you know.、Uh, some places were more strict than others. So, just like having two kids, and and that background is like when when I say like they worked hard, it, it's hardcore stuff.、Yeah. So, a lot of times, jobs would people would have to migrate a lot. So there are a lot of families where, like, the parents would go work in the city, and then the grandparents would take care of them, but not really the kids took care of themselves. So that's like the context that's that's there. So, and you know, as I've heard about this and kind of pieced together with what I learned about it, it's like it's pretty amazing. You know, what's going on? Her generation, they grew up with this like profound sense of taking care of your parents because they they have literally sacrificed like so much. You know. Like food is central to that. It's like in Chinese culture, it's the way you like take care of someone. Yeah, it's like it seems、them. like that was your love language. Yeah, like and, I yeah, will feed you. You show love through cooking for them. That's really sweet. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I, that's amazing. You had that kind of awareness at that young of an age to even recognize. You know, even though they probably didn't say anything, right? But you just picked up on stuff and、yeah. knew what to do. That's. That's really amazing. Back then, I wasn't really because I was in that kind of situation, and I felt that I could do it, right? But right now, when I look back, I was like, "Wow, I did those things."、Yeah. And、uh, my generation, there are a lot of kids doing what I was doing, you know. That is really sweet. So then, in your family, Randy, was food a big deal since you lived in the United States? Like, did they bring that culture with、mm. them? Interesting thinking about it because it was just like so normal to me.、Mm. I mean, just eating Japanese food, right? And it wasn't until like 
I got old enough for like sleepovers and stuff that I realized how different we were. Nobody wanted to stay at our house because like the food the was morning, different. Uh, yeah, like they wanted cereal and we never had cereal. I never ate cereal. Like ever. And then I sleep over at my friend's house and I eat cereal. I'm like they're eating cookies for breakfast. So when I was growing up, our normal breakfast like was, it was always rice and then miso soup. And then it was really simple. Uh, there's this thing called natto. It's like fermented soybeans or like kimchi or something like that. That. That, that. That's basically it, you know? And then um, my mom didn't cook too much because she was really busy. She's a single mother, but every Sunday she'd cook a meal and then, you know, she'd have us help out and I wouldn't because I was dumb. And that's honestly something I really regret because as I got older, I just kind of had to look back and remember what I saw her do. So like all this like food that I thought was totally normal, I started to become like, wow, it's very different. I started to really appreciate it more. Yeah, but I I was so dumb growing up because I was so jealous of other kids that had like handy snacks, you know, and Lunchables. I I really was. I'm like... (laughs) You know, and I was like embarrassed about my food, you know, and I just like, man, why can't we ever have white food, you know, (laughs) and and then my mom's pretty hardcore. She's like, then you just make your own lunches. (laughs) So I'd like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and I didn't like I didn't like them but I felt pressured to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. How old were you when you came from Japan? Well we had moved back and forth but when we settled down I was seven but like so my mom is straight up immigrant my dad's from California born and raised and so I was uh, born like abroad so like citizen born abroad so like I, I do remember English and Japanese being spoken when I was younger and then my parents got divorced and then I live with my mother. So, you know, she just made our house super Japanese. Right. Like, <laughs> But I mean, like, you know, coming into that and already feeling displaced and already feeling like if your dad left and all this upheaval, the only thing you'd want to do is blend in. By the time you get to high school and you're like talking about stuff, yeah. you know, my friends were like, oh, all the, you know, all the rich kids had their Lunchables, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had to reuse my brown paper sack because right. my mom didn't want to throw right. it away. She would be hip now. Yeah. That's the thing is reusing. reusing? So she yeah. would have been yeah. in it. <laughs> all my, these generations the time, used, time like, has changed. eat sushi for lunch. Yeah. Now, yeah. like when we would have never, you know, like I think I was 20 before I had sushi the first time. Oh, I loved it. Well, it blew so, my mind. Um, what is that? Breakfast Club? Have you guys seen that movie? Yes. <laughs> Where she's like, eats the sushi and they're all like, <gasps> they're like staring at her. But I, I remember stuff like this. I really do. Like growing up, kids would like make fun of me. You eat raw fish, you know, and they weren't overly antagonistic. They just like throw this stuff out there and I was super embarrassed about it. I grew up watching Dragon Ball, you know, I did too. and then one of my friends like. I tried to get them to watch it. They'd be like, what is this? You know? And then by the time I like graduated high school, suddenly Japanese stuff was like cool. So you guys have this crazy, inspiring story about food. So what really made you like go, okay, let's try this. Let's open Christie's Asian kitchen. So I always wanted to do something. Basically, okay, so I, I, I graduated from university and then met him, and then we've been just all over the world. So I 
didn't. Well, I wasn't really employed, but I always wanted to do something. Like at home, and then start doing this. I just feel like all、oh, the financial burdens on Randy. So I, that's another part. Like I wanna contribute. I think probably the hardest thing was we moved around so much. Like, so, like when we came here, we came here with the purpose of settling down. We got this idea by going to your farmers market. Like that—that's actually where it came from. I had a little bit idea before going to your farmers market, and then when I went to your farmers market, and I had a purpose, you know, like I went there, and、uh, but that year the farmers market wasn't really big, and there wasn't a lot of like food available. And then we came back, and then we start preparing. Let's think about like what what can we sell there? We thought about kimchi. Yeah, so this first we were just thinking about like things that we thought would be accessible to people. So like we love this Singaporean pork jerky called bakwa. So like oh you know Americans probably like. Jerky. Then we're like kimchi, you know, kimchi super healthy, you know, and a lot of these things we had like basically just kind of had been figuring out on our own because when you're traveling abroad, you kind of have to, you're kind of forced to learn how to cook because you can't get the food from home. And then we've just kind of been picking things up as we've been going abroad too. So we started off like that, and then I don't even know how we came across the idea of Bowser. But after that was when we really started talking about how the way we've made friends abroad was always through food, and it's like this international thing that could connect to anybody, and we really appreciate that. Like some of the best moments we had were like, so our son was born in Abu Dhabi, and so when we were living there, like after he was born. Some neighbor friends would always bring food to us. You well, know, like the first just, week we are back from hospital, and we were just so thankful for that. And then we'd make them. I'd make them like Hawaiian food, and they'd be like, "What's this?" You know, like poke, which is like this raw marinated fish thing. You know, and so we we felt like you know if we're really gonna do this, we wanna we don't just wanna sell food. We wanna share that experience. You know, and so we're like, if this was at the farmers market, you know, because、so, when we, I specifically remember the Finneys actually, you know, sitting there talking to them about cheese, you know, <laughs> man, that's really cool, you know, if it's like this, it's very little startup cost, and we'll be able to interact with people directly, and this food is good, you don't need to change it, right? And if you change it, you're kind of hijacking your own cultural dialogue. Yeah, and we think that Saint George, we couldn't really find any authentic food here, and、yeah. uh, it just a lot. Of aspects together, and also we watched that、uh, short movie Bow, and then that short movie actually make our mind more set on making the buns. So something like a Bowser is just so normal and common in China, but it is like a home, like a soul food. Yeah, and that's the buns. Is that、yeah. what you're talking、yeah. about? Okay,、like、dumplings are kind of universal too. I mean, I、yeah. know they're not dumplings, but it's you're right. It is accessible. It's not so foreign that people are like. Uh, yeah. You know, but it's kind of like you know everybody's got their version of it. But I remember it wasn't you, you and I were emailing or messaging back and forth, and you were like, "I I want to sell Asian food," and I was like, "Do it." And then、um, they were. You guys came to the farmers market meetup. We have a vendor meetup every year,、that. and these two show up, and they have a little tray of like these. 
of of the of the pork bauza and she's like try these and tell me if they're good and i was like okay and alicia was with me and i gave her one and i took one bite out of it and i was like give me that back i was like oh my gosh i was like this is so good i was like i cannot believe it like i was and you were like well you think people would buy it and i was like yes i do yeah at the very beginning we were so not sure about it like how people accepting it we we thought like well we'll probably do okay because there's a lot of chinese like students here that's what we thought at first yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. At first <laughs> there's like chinese teachers also here right? yeah we thought our customers would be this group of people that miss home food yeah, yeah. yeah. but it actually turned out that um they don't really buy our food because they, <laughs> they can make, make it at home. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting to think like th- that it turned out that way, right? Because, yeah. but it makes sense. Like, uh, so a grilled cheese. It's like okay, a grilled cheese. But if you went abroad, would you like go abroad to like eat a grilled cheese? Right. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, we were we were so we were super self conscious at the beginning. Like we were, I, I was nervous at that meeting. <laughs> I know. I could tell you that you guys were really nervous and I was like what's going on here because you know Americans were so informal I could tell that you guys were coming into it with the seriousness yeah yeah that Uh, they were like no one else you're you're our boss (laughs) and so we we show respect to the boss oh thanks No, no one's us. So you traveled around the world in Mexico and all those places because of teaching, right? So teaching took yeah. you around and then yeah. you explored all these different cultures and their food. Mm-hmm. And that's influenced like your motivation behind starting like Christie's Asian Kitchen, right? You want to bring the traditions and the cultures. So do you include other flavors from different countries too? Or do you try to in stick our, with... cooking, we, we have like kind of messed around and like fusion food is fantastic, right? Well, ever since we started, we've been trying to figure out new ways to kind of go about doing this. Uh, and so like with the buns themselves, we kind of messed around and put all kinds of different fillings in them, you know, like... Okay, so in Japan, they actually have this pizza bun. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, pizza bun. I feel like that would go over really well here. But it's good. Yeah, so it's it's the it's the steamed bread, and there's... Like Asian hot pocket. Pasta sauce. Yeah, basically. Pasta sauce, uh, their version of pepperoni, <laughs> and then cheese. <laughs> but, but it's good. So we're like, okay, we have leftover spaghetti sauce that we made. Let's put it in here. And so we kind of started shoving the buns with all kinds of things. And so that's where we kind of came across... It's super Chinese, uh, the hong chao ro, the braised pork belly. That's actually not common at all in China to put that inside of a bun. Yeah, normally that bra- braised pork belly, we just eat it as a side dish. It's not weird. Like when we tell people to be like, oh, I never thought about it. That'd probably be good. Uh, and then for a while there, I was kind of dabbling in like, oh, it'd be awesome if we shoved butter chicken in this or even like sog, right? Rather than go that direction, we decided to kind of try and introduce a more variety of different types of Asian food, uh, which is why we're kind of going the route of other things like doing like different street foods and like noodles and stuff like that. You guys are innovative, but you're trying to stay authentic. You're using authentic flavors. You still do the long marinating and everything like that because you want your stuff to taste different than the American Asian cuisine here. Yeah. And so will you explain the difference between American Asian cuisine and, and what you guys do? So first, uh, our recipe, we try to not change it 
at all. Like we, our purpose now, like, okay, I want to change it to cater to these people in a, in America. What was what flavor they like? So American Chinese food usually focuses on like one flavor and then tries to overpower, you know. Your senses with it, like orange chicken. It's funny, like they say it's this slightly spicy thing, but it's just sweet. It is all it is. So when you take the typical Chinese American dish, which has got something like orange chicken and then fried noodles or fried rice, so the fried noodles is just salty, right? And then so put all together, I guess you have a variety of flavors, right? But real Chinese food is not like that at all. There's this huge depth of flavor. And I don't think it's something Americans are really used to. A lot of Americans nowadays have heard the concept of umami. So umami is Japanese, but it's this idea of this underlying deeper flavors, the essence of flavor. It's actually foundational. So it's umami like brings life to everything else. But in order to like really develop this, that's why there's all these steps and processes. So like what I've seen is like a stir fried fried rice in America, like you know they'll fry it and then they'll add the sauce, fry it some more. But real fried rice, they'll start with like seasonings, herbs, and then they'll like heat up that wok super high and then they'll like infuse the oil so it's like smells great you know it's all this it's like and then they'll put it in and that super high heat just locks in that infused umami flavor into it and then they then they'll just continue to layer the flavor so like when you taste like real chinese food that wow this is so good it's like it's because there are just layers of that right and so i feel you know, sweet stuff is good. I, I feel like a lot of the Chinese food history comes from, like, necessity. Uh, how could, you know, these Chinese compete way back in, like, the 30s and 40s, except for by adapting their food, you know? But there's that kind of legacy there. And it's interesting to see how, like, people are actually gravitating towards more. We want real authentic stuff. And the funny thing is, like, what Americans have come to see as, like, the enemy of Chinese food, MSG. MSG is traditionally the essence of umami, actually. And so monos monosodium glutamate is actually naturally occurring. Uh, and it's you usually find it in, like, seaweed or you find it in different, like, salt and stuff like that. You know, Himalayan pink salt? Yeah, there's the MSG in there, you know. So now is there a difference? Is there a synthetic MSG that's used in American food or is it the same thing? Yeah, so it was actually the, in the 70s that it was actually a Japanese company that, you know, they were trying to find the essence of the flavor. So, you know, they kind of broke it down on a molecular level and then crystallized it in that white powder that, that you see today. So the weird thing is, is like, so what you ate today, the Hong Ro, it actually has quite a bit of MSG in it. It's just naturally occurring. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That essence of flavor is there because all of these things combine and melt together to, yeah. to flavor it. And you know? said it comes from seaweed? So, it, well, in Japanese cooking, it's mostly from there, but okay. it, it's in all kinds of different minerals and stuff. Oh, so. interesting. Like, uh, so like for the, the Hong Chao, the pork belly. So that's like, geez, how much stuff is in there? Star anise. Bay leaf. Bay leaf. Green onion, yeah. ginger, garlic, and uh, uh, shoyu, dark. So in China, there's so many different shoyu. Like American, they only know one kind of shoyu, like 
the, the shoyu, they dip the sushi, right? But like in China, there's like ton all kinds of shoyu, dark shoyu, and light shoyu, and like a shoyu for steamed fish, and show shoyu soy sauce. Oh, right? soy sauce. Yes. Okay, sorry. I just want to make sure that everybody that's listening that's not as into it knows what <laughs> we're talking you. about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like I because I watched I can't even remember what I watched on it, but there's like so many different like fermenting processes too to to get real soy sauce. Like there's stuff that's been fermented for like five years. And yeah, there's stuff like it's like a it's an art. Yes, like um, there's an old way doing the the miso and shoyu mm-hmm. um, soy sauce, and uh, now nowadays like the factory try to make it fast. You know, and then they just uh, produce ton at once. Yeah, that's the show you that we normally use in our home. Yeah, like those kind of show you in an old way. They are not really common, but you, they are available if you pay a lot. Like that's you need to find them first, right? Things like that are more common in Japan, I think, where there's still this like. You'll have these super old school, you know, companies that make it the ultra traditional way, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're really expensive products, right? But they like, at least on the Japanese side, there's this crazy commitment to perfection, even if it brings a point one percent increase in flavor. <laughs> you know, it's that doing it right thing. Yeah. You know, like it's like the long way. It's like take your time, just do it right. This is yeah. the way we do it. Tradition. It's actually just like make me realize that no matter what you do there's always market you know there's always market like the food or the the products that you make is not for the majority right niche down hard become an expert in your field that's always what i see whenever i see somebody at the market that's having problems with their sales it's because they're trying to do everything if they're like if they're selling food don't sell soap like it makes people question (laughs) your authority on things like niche down and do it right it seems like fermenting in in asian food cuisine comes up a lot do you is that why is eating fermented foods important there's a lot of fermented side dishes yeah so like i think throughout throughout asia like japan china and korea we do fermented food um in a different ways actually the the most worldwide is kimchi that's actually from Korea. It's it's kind of interesting thinking about it like this because I've never really thought of it as like healthy food. Do, do you know what I mean? But now that I know that it's healthy food, I'm like, oh, a lot of things make sense. Oh, do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like you were just eating it because it's that's the way it's, it's, it's culturally. Just, it's just a staple. Uh, yeah. So, and and as I've looked into this, it's it's interesting. I mean, you know, fermenting is almost always comes out of necessity, right? Uh, during winter months, having to store foods for long periods of time, but by fermenting it rather than just salting it, it you still get nutrients out of it. Right. So you take something like cabbage that has almost no nutritional value, really. But if you ferment it, it suddenly becomes something that could really sustain you throughout the winter months. And so and then there's all kinds of things, you know, like soy sauce is fermented, miso is fermented and all the different varieties of those two. And it's not just cabbage, like there's all kinds of fermented vegetables and things. And I think America has a legacy of fermenting foods, too. I, I just feel like it's probably been lost. There's a lot of fermented breads. Like the sourdough. 
Yeah, and then a lot of fermented vegetables too, and yogurt even. Well, it's like a. I think it's just a worldwide cultural legacy for fermenting foods. And there's a definite shift in the American fermenting because they all of a sudden became afraid of the microbes. And so it became not live fermenting, but pickling. So Americans, uh, like they, they have a lot of pickling and only now is like, I mean, yogurt yeah. has kind of come like always, you know, gone through there and even sourdough yeah. people have gone away from and now it's coming back because they're realizing that it helps digest yeast so much. It's, it's interesting to see that it's still alive you know, you guys are still in traditional like connection with crop harvest. You guys are still mm -hmm. eating like Asian food is is still surviving and connecting to that concept. Like we eat this to survive because it keeps us healthy in the winter. Whereas Americans were like, what? You going to eat sour? Yeah. Like, you know, even sauerkraut here, though, the kind you buy in the store is not real live fermented sauerkraut. <laughs> unless you go to a health store. Cabbage, yeah, it's a pickled. Like if you buy like the kosher kind, yeah. it's not a live ferment because they won't allow it because you can't you'd have to test every single batch mm -hmm. on those wow. bigger commercial ones so like the ones in the health food store it's so interesting actually I, I, I'm gonna get a bit critical about you know American way of eating Do even it. though I'm an American I think drop it's some just, hot takes here a lot of it is like stuff that we already know processed food has destroyed the American diet you know this is something that's been going on since the 70s you know since food has started to become mass produced uh, scientifically engineered to be addictive, <laughs> yeah, like sugar. Yeah. That stuff has the same effect on your brain as cocaine. Yeah, you for know? sure. And then, and then you look at all these health trends. You know, it's like okay, there's the fat-free health trend. So let's make up for the flavor by pumping more sugar in the food. You know, lives get busier, so the food culture changes. You know, don't need to cook, just take this box with this stuff and so like i okay i'm critical but i'm also very impressed because if you think about how long this is going on and then within the fa past just five ten years how much people have shifted away from that I, I think it's a pretty amazing to overcome such a like three four decade legacy of junk fake food you know and so like i think a big difference is there wasn't that type of food industrialization in a lot of asian countries uh you know where they just created the economy out of mass producing food um not that, that there's like food shortages over there but like uh even up until when i was like living there uh, you know, you'd shop at the m local market, you know, not like a supermarket. Supermarkets were popping up, but, you know, and there wasn't this idea that, you know, if if you were to buy from like a local farmer, it's a, it's a local farmer. It's cheaper. It's just better, you know. And then here, like because of this mass produced food system we have, they've been able to take food that's not quality and drive that cheaper so like people choose a cheaper option right so i think it's pretty amazing that people have like started to really become aware of that and like and then things really start to make sense it's like there's this kind of joke that korean skin is always like really nice yeah. <laughs> and good you know it is we take care really of their smooth, skin you know <laughs> and it's like well i mean the science shows that it has a lot to do with the amount of vitamin c and the chili flakes in the chili flakes and also the amino acids that help produce collagen when they eat their kimchi <laughs> you know and then, and then, you know my, my grandma she lived till she was like 96 you know <laughs> 
and it's, it's awesome. just like the, so the diet really changes and so once somebody has real good food and they see that effect it's like it's hard to go back to to fake stuff you know yeah oh, well yeah. and the fermented foods like affect your like microbiology and your gut right yeah uh, a lot of so a vast amount of the nutrients like just kind of pass through our system right because we don't have the flora to to do that it's the microbes that digest the food right yeah yeah but but we hold on to the calories though right so um maasai was the maasai people in eastern africa like uh their diet consists of just some kind of weird cultured dairy drink and that's it and they're some of the strongest healthiest people in the world study was done to see and it's just what they drink is just so full chock full of like beneficial bacteria that they have just healthy digestive systems their their body utilizes every single calorie and nutrient to to the highest degree right and and you can see the effects of this like if you take like french food you know not much cultured food there but like if you take a look at it, it's like really unhealthy food super rich what we consider unhealthy right but they don't have as much as the adverse effects there it's just it's real food it's not processed manufactured stuff that our body doesn't need or use so i am just thankful though honestly because like you know miso soup and kimchi and all that was just like so totally normal to me now that i know that it has all these like huge benefits it's like yeah that's that's nice that's good and i'm happy that people are like adopting that too you know so uh and it's been interesting here because uh you know there's such a large senior population here so we've had a lot of people coming in and like oh i heard kimchi's really good (laughs) you know and they and they try it out so it's like i don't know it's just so trippy seeing seeing like you know the older generations trying kimchi for the first time right and you're like i've grown up eating this every morning and every afternoon some of them them really take to it though you know really oh my gosh i feel like people food should be something that you're not you cannot really only focus on being healthy it's that you need to make yourself satisfied you need to love this you need to think this what i'm eating tastes good right so i don't want people to go like oh this is healthy so i have to eat it i push myself to eat it that's, that's like we growing up we don't push ourselves to eat this I mean every culture every country have their own like healthy food as long as it's not processed that you cook at home you don't have to cook cook at home every day but just cook at home like a like three times a week and later on four times a week and that become a habit and then you eat the real food and then you like it you don't have to choose like I gotta eat smoothie every day because it's healthy and actually I'm tired of it in the end you know Actually, I'm tired of it. Well said. That's the quote for the episode. (laughs) But yeah, I I think, yeah, it's very interesting to hear you talk about just putting love and the process back into the food. Like you love it so much and it tastes like that you know like you can tell that somebody has made it with love and that it's taken forever and that it's handmade and right right because uh, when i go out eat like pizza i feel like they might be different like a um, pizza hut and a uh, hungry howie or like a uh, domino's they might taste different but it's all about the same like it tastes all the same but if you cook at home it will t- you can just tell it's 
taste different. Yeah. The best pizza I've ever had were, was pizza that we made. And, not, and I don't think I'm a, honestly like a pizza genius at all. It's just that when you make it yourself, it's, it is different. Um, like we actually, yesterday, Milo, our son, he's been wanting to go to Pizza Pie Cafe for the longest time. So we went to Pizza Pie Cafe. And like I was super hungry. So like while I was eating, I was like, oh, this is good. But afterwards, I was kind of like, ugh. <laughs> you know? gross. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's like, ah, oh, it's cheap, you know. Yeah. But, like, you know, you rarely have that feeling when you take the time to cook for yourself right. and for your family and for your friends, you know. Uh, this concept of, like, food being more than just what it tastes like and the sensation of being full. It's, it's food, food is more than that. I think it's something that people are starting to embrace you know, instead of just, I'm hungry, what's cheapest, what'll fill me up the most, you know. So where do you source your ingredients that you use for the dishes that you make? We get all the ingredients, like, because in, our recipe is Chinese recipe, and then um, all the ingredients we use are, of course, is Chinese ingredients and Chinese brands, even though, like, shoyu, there's so many different kind of shoyus, right? We need to choose the right kind to have the right taste. So some ingredients we can actually find in Las Vegas, the Chinese supermarket, but some ingredients we can. We just have to ship it from China. And how do you find the recipes? Like, are these traditional family recipes, or do you have to go searching elsewhere? Yeah, this is just my mom's recipe. Like, uh, so, I learned from her. Some of them we found, like uh, xiao mai. Yeah, Shao Mai, Shao Mai we, is, is a recipe that you found, right? Yeah, that you always change it, huh? I I can see that in you. Like you probably taste it and like that's not good enough. Yeah, so so you can find nowadays like you just you can search everything on, on with your phone, and then there's so many recipes pops up, right? And then you since you have like the cooking knowledge kind of like common sense and then you can find like the most you think just from the recipe you can actually tell this one would taste better than this oh and uh, okay I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do this this recipe and then I cook and then I try and then I might need to change it a little bit a lot I think a lot of that does come from your mom because like for the Bowser, for example, like how they're made is like how how her mom makes them. You know, I I get to eat all that food. <laughs> yeah, I know. very lucky man. <laughs> but but it was really good. But like you know, I was like, well, how could this taste so good? I mean, you know, if her mom's been cooking her whole life, so you know, she knows she knows what's up. <laughs> like when you the people will. Like there must be a secret in, you know, the recipe, how you make this. But uh, to her, to my mom, there's no secret. She's been always making it this way. And uh, it's not, she might, like she learned from her mom. And then, you know, each person, my buns, even though I use my mom's recipe, probably tastes a little bit different. But, you know, like each person, even though you follow the recipe, but it's still going to taste a little bit different. Like my mom learned from my grandma and my, my mom's, food it tastes a little bit different right. than my grandma's but it's like a living tradition yeah, yeah it's, it's like this thing like that connects all of you guys but it's just a little bit different each time and it really is based off of the 
person that makes it. Like you, like when you make food, I was watching you when I was here. You are present. You are in it. You're concerned. You've like, you know, like I've made cookies and I don't even give a crap, but there's only 12 of them. And you're like testing every single piece of dough. You're like, this dough is not right. Like <laughs> you are so present in making your food that no wonder your energy goes into that. And that's the X factor. You know, you can taste that. Yeah, like each person, even though they follow the same recipe, I mean, like, I know that's the magic part, you know, like, each person has different, like, era, and they have different, I don't know if it has something to do with it or not, but I, this, this is how I understand it, like, they are different, and then they, so, same recipe and turn out to be different, They're but they're all good. I, I believe that. Like, I do too. Sometimes it sounds super hokey. I, I really believe that though, because sometimes it sounds hokey. Like, oh, I'm all oh, about. You're, you're, I'm all about my the chi, woo. My chi yeah. is in there, you yeah. know. Um, but it's it's also not because I I know from personal experience how food could transcend just consumption, right? So, but I mean, you know, you would never say that about a singer. You know, yeah. like obviously their energy and obviously like a musician, like obviously they're playing with something else. They can play the same note, sing the same note as someone else, but it's different because it's them. Yeah, yeah. Like in any art form, it's different because it's you. Yeah. So I totally, true. yeah, that makes sense. Like yeah. I totally believe that. So if you haven't tried Christie's Asian Kitchen, <laughs> need to go. It transcends it consumption. Yeah, That's they're, good. There's your tagline. Yeah. <laughs> The, the smell of the food, the taste of it, it'll bring you to certain memories and everything, you know. So for me, growing up, my mom was just like so busy, like just a single mom. And in my family, there's four kids. And so, you know, as, as things got harder, there a lot of times when she wouldn't cook and we just kind of wouldn't really have much food, you know. And there's this uh, thing that this huge event in my life that kind of made me this like food obsessed person and as a like there's a particularly hard time when I was growing up and I, like we didn't have any food I didn't eat for three days you know and I I do have a bit of Japanese in me it's like shameful to ask for help and so you know I just I, I just didn't eat for three days even at lunch and stuff and my friends finally took notice and you know they took me to you know Tuesday taco night at Del Taco <laughs> <laughs> It's funny that we're talking about all this like authentic food, but th- that's and then you break a three day fast. That's, with that's Del what changed Taco. it, like because it's really hard to describe unless you've been through that. It's like after a certain time, your hunger turns to pain, and then you just lose energy, you know. And so they took me this, and they bought me all these tacos. I was like, I was like crying. I was like, yeah. You know? And then it's like I am never gonna take food for granted again, ever, ever. And then. That's what kind of made me like obsessed with it. This idea that like it's just food and it was just Del Taco. It was this huge connection, like bonding moment, you know. And then as as I've traveled abroad, that, that like I just obsessed with finding out how people are through their food, right? Because how it smells, how it's cooked, says a lot about a person. So this whole idea that it can transcend experience is very, very true. And it's something that I... I really, really want people to know, like, and especially like I'm, I'm a teacher, right? And like when I hear kids just born and raised in St. George, I'm like, man, that's great, but you got to go out. 
not because it's like cool or to take all these Instagram photos. Cause like you have no idea that in Japan there's, you know, this ramen restaurant where they spend three days boiling down pig's feet to make the perfect balance of soup, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> three days boiling down oh my gosh. pig's feet, you know, you have no idea how that tastes like, you know, and just what that is, you know, is you want to consume life. You got to consume the food that's out there, you know? So I, 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 I get overly passionate about this stuff and I'm like unashamed of, of it either, you know? And you shouldn't be. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> that's when like a lot of um, like our customers and they lived in China. They've been to Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan's food, they have buns, but it tastes different than mainland. But like the people here tasted, even though it tastes different, but they could tell this is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really give them some people just uh, my customer just to stand outside, like outside our door, like talk to me for like 15 minutes and about his experience in Taiwan being a missionary. It's just uh, Food connects everything, you know. And uh, he was, like, really passionate about uh, the experience in Taiwan. And then he said that I couldn't really remember how the food tastes and how, you know, like, everything. Because when you're in a city, each city has a different smell, right? I couldn't remember everything, but, like, um, he had my bun. He's like, oh, it really brings me... Brings me back a lot of memories and stuff. Yeah, that's what we want people to experience. That reminds me of Ratatouille. That, yeah. but it's right though. The yeah. the thing that melts that critic's heart is it's like his mom's Ratatouille. It, yeah, and it just brings him back, right? But it is, and I mean, like I have no experience in Asian culture or have never visited. But when you taste your food, like when I bite into your pork buns, it does. It just feels like a memory. You know, like it's, it's so good. And it's just like, even though it's not my home cooking, it's home cooking. You know, it's like that safe, savory dinner, like family, you just feel there. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you found this podcast, especially on iTunes. If you have a specific question that you would like to ask us or our farmers, makers, or educators, send us an email at podcast at mofacoutah.com and let us know. Another way to support this podcast is by becoming a supporting member starting at only $2 a month. We have different levels of membership that grant access to special members-only swag like shirts, hats, bags, magnets, and stickers that show your support for your local community. To learn more, please visit mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash support. Make sure you are following us on Facebook and Instagram at mofacoutah and sign up for our email list at mofacoutah.com slash podcast slash sign up to stay up to date on all this podcast has to offer. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back in your feed in two weeks. But until then, we hope Hope to to see see you at the farmer's market. The music for this episode was created by Southern Utah local, Jake Shepard.